Luke chapter 15. Yes? Okay. Luke 15. So Luke 15 is one of the greatest stories and the greatest passages in the Bible that speaks about what salvation actually is. And, and it really cuts through some of these difficult theological things that, that are, that are difficult. And, and I'll tell you, I wish that when somebody had told me, are you asked me if I was saved? And I said, I don't even know what you're talking about. They would have read me this story. And let me read it to you today. We're going to read in Luke chapter 15, and I'm going to read from verse 11 down to the end of the chapter. And it reads like this. Then he said, that's Jesus, then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and he journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a famine in that land and he began to be in want. And then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed pigs, swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. But he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran, fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and draw near the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called to one of the servants and said, What are these things? What's going on? And he said to him, Your brother has come. Because he has received from him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was hungry and would not go, or he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you, I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost 
and now is found. The holidays for some are can be a little bit of a difficult time. Because for some, the holidays remind us of loss. They remind us of the people that are alive or no longer alive who we don't have with us. And those are difficult memories. And they're, they, they, they bring an edge to the holidays. These stories, this, these two sons and the two stories that come prior are all about things that were lost and things that are found. The whole chapter is really talking about a con, it tells a story of this conversation between Jesus, Yeshua, and the Pharisees. The first uh, couple of uh, verses of this passage um, start like this. When all the tax collectors and sinners draw, new to, draw near to Him, and the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying... Now, Pharisees and scribes, do you know who these are? Right, scribe. My last name is Sofer, which means scribe. So, scribe is... This, this is the Jerusalem family of the scribes, right? Um, these were part of the religious landscape of Judaism. There was no one Judaism. There were pri- priests, there were scribes, there were Pharisees, there were Essenes. They were all fighting. They all thought that they had it, had it all figured out and they wanted to make sure that in the power struggle of who is going to sort of call the shots that their way was the right way. The Pharisees were not the most powerful, but they were probably the most popular among just the ordinary people. And they believed that the way in which you became right with God was through ritual. Today we would call it mitzvot, through keeping holidays, through eating kosher, through uh, different kind of ritual practices. That was what they were all about. And they didn't like that Jesus was talking to tax collectors and to sinners. And they said, look at this man. He receives sinners. He eats with them. It's horrible. And so then he goes and he tells two stories. First story is about a a sheep. And he says, look, any man among you, if you lost a sheep and you found it, you would be glad. And then he speaks to the women and he says, women, if there is any woman among you and she lost a coin, uh, evidently Jewish women have been kind of running the books in their homes for many, many years, right? So uh, the, the woman, if you lost a coin and you found it, there would be great rejoicing. And it's an obvious, right? It's an obvious thing. Well, there's this funny pause at the beginning of verse 11 when he says, then he said, and I think Jesus looked at the Pharisees and the scribes and, and he realized, okay, they're not getting this. And let me tell you the story about these two sons. Now, the two sons. Really, if you think about this, it's, it's much like a kind of a play in two acts. Act one is the older son. And who is this older son, right? The older son is, is, uh, well, 
He's a prodigal. He goes to his father who has some money and he has some wealth and he says to his father, I want to take um, my portion of that wealth and I want to go off with it. And so I would like that. That's how the story starts. And his father amazingly agrees and it gives it to them. Now, I'm a father and I'm not sure I would agree if my child asked me for their inheritance. I, they were really asking for much anyway, but you know, so they, they, but I'm not sure I would, I would really give it to them or at least I, I would certainly pause. But the father gives it. The father has this amazing grace where he gives the child his inheritance. And then he goes away and he squanders it. He lives with prodigal, wanton living. It doesn't really take a lot of imagination to wonder what he did. Right? We all know what they did. Uh, he went, you know, uh, today he would have gone to Vegas and done whatever, or he would have, you know, but there's always been opportunity. There's always been a place where, you know, you can go and live in a prodigal way. It's always been there. And this guy went there and finds himself um, out of money. He finds himself with no self-respect. He finds himself completely losing any connection to uh, his name. Uh, he has no, he's, he's finding himself wishing that he could eat the food that the pigs are eating because he's so hungry. So, uh, I, a few of you, I, I'm sure, will know this song. But there was a song written um, uh, several years ago that reminds me much of this passage. And uh, it's a song by Simon and Garfunkel called The Boxer. And uh, so, so I have the lyrics, and I'm just going to read some of the lyrics, and we can all then go, lie, lie, lie. Okay, so... Um, uh, here's the lyrics. I am just a poor boy, though my story seldom told. I've squandered my resistance for a pocket full of mumbles. Such are promises. All lies and jest. Still a man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. Yeah, okay, good. All right, okay. When I left my home and my family, I was no more than a boy in the company of strangers in the quiet of the railway station running scared, laying low, seeking out the poor quarters where the ragged people go, looking for the places only they would know. Okay. Asking only workmen's wages, I came looking for a job, but I get no offers just to come on from the whores on 7th Avenue. Now, Paul Simon, when he was singing this once, uh, stopped and told a story of a woman who stopped him on the street and said that when she sings this to their children, she changes this and she says, um, uh, just to come on from the toy stores down on 7th Avenue. So he, he, he liked that lyric better and I, so, I do too. Um, there were times when I was so lonesome, I took some comfort there. Lila Lai. <sighs> Then I'm laying out my winter clothes and wishing I was gone, going home. 
where the New York City winters aren't bleeding me, leading me going home. And then he tells now about this boxer, and he says, in the clearing stands a boxer and a fighter by his trade, and he carries the reminders of every glove that laid him down or cut him till he cried out in his anger and his shame, I'm leaving, I'm leaving, but the fighter still remains. You know, um, the world will tell us that you should go out and make your own way. You should be your own person. And for many, that includes never going home, but staying out there like this boxer. That it's better, some will say, to suffer on your own because you know you've done it by yourself and not go home. But yet we want to. The holidays bring that up. We think about home, not just a place, but we think about what home actually is. In Jesus' story, the boy, the prodigal, does go home, and what he found, what he finds is far beyond what he ever could have imagined. He finds his father, who sees him far off, and the first thing that happens is his father goes running to him. Okay, now I imagine the father is this Middle Eastern man who is wealthy, who has herds. Um, today, it would I imagine he looks something like a sheik, right? He's got a long, kind of flowing robe. Um, have you ever seen a sheik run? I, I haven't ever seen a sheik run, right? And I can only imagine like this, you know, it's a lot of material moving around, you know, and this sheik is kind of going and... and um, it, it, it's, it was, it must have been quite a sight. So he goes and he runs and he falls on his son. This is not what men do in this world. He falls and he kisses his son. And the son then kind of says to his dad this rehearsed thing. Okay, dad, you know, I was coming back and, you know, I'm going to work for you. And it, the father just completely disregards anything that his son says because he's so happy that his son is back. And he, he, he says in verse 23, he says, bring the fatted calf. And that was quite a, 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 well, the fatted calf would have been one of his most valuable financial possessions. And he kills that fatted calf for his son. And then he says, put the best robe on him. You know who had the best robes in the house? Is the father. So he says, put one of my robes on this son. Put my sandals on the son's feet. Put my ring onto the son's hand. He's not just receiving him as a servant. He's receiving him as part of himself that has been re returned. And they throw a great party. And act one of the story ends with great rejoicing. And there's a beautiful sunset. 
and the curtain comes down and everybody's happy. <laughs> and then the curtain comes up again on son number two. Okay, this is a parable about not one son, but two sons. And the second son is coming back from working in the field and he hears all this kind of, you know, hoopla and he's happy and he, and, and he, he hears this and, and he says to his servants, what's going on? And his servants then say, well, um, the, the, your son is, has come back. And you can only imagine what he thought. Oh, great. Now realize the second son, think about it this way. The second son just had his father give him half of what his father owned. And now the father then kills the fatted calf. Part of the older, the part of the older son's or the uh, part of the second son's uh, part of his portion. So this other son is now eaten more into the family possessions. And he's ticked off. He says, low. <laughs> what does low mean? I don't know what low means, but I, I mean, I think today most of the sons wouldn't say low. <laughs> they would say, you know, yo, right, right. As, as, as a friend of mine, as a friend of mine says, he would probably say to his father, what the low, you know? <laughs> What's going on, man? And he says, you know, I've been here. I've been doing all the right things. I've been serving you. I've been following the commandments. And this son of yours, he doesn't even say his name. That's how mad he is. This son of yours, he comes back. You throw him a party. What about me? And then his father answers and says, you've always been with me. And all that I have is yours. It was right that we should be merry and be glad your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. The story of the prodigal son now takes an interesting turn because we discovered that this son that stayed, this son that did all the right things, was just as lost as the son that went off and lived with prodigal living. And in fact, more so. In the story, and... Uh, I. I don't know if there was really a uh, person that Jesus was thinking. It's a story. It's a parable. In the story, the son that stayed never was reconciled to his father. There was no party at the end of Act 2. And it's left that way on purpose that you and I would be able to see. It was left that way on purpose so that the Pharisees would be able to see the Pharisees are the second brother in this story. The Pharisees are the ones that are always doing the right things, but not receiving back that which is lost. The challenge, I think, for those of us who are believers, especially believers for a long time, is our tendency is more easily toward the son that stayed. 
because we're the ones that are doing the right things, or at least that's what we think, right? Uh, we all fall into it. All of us do. But what Jesus is reminding us and what this passage is reminding us is that salvation is as simple as being lost and then found. Something that we didn't have and now we do have. Something that causes us to rejoice with a party, causes us to have a banquet, causes us to run, causes us to give away our best garments, our best shoes, our greatest investment. That's what salvation is all about. That this passage so easily talks about what it is to know God and to come to Him. So what do we do with this? The two sons really represent, in many ways, two ways to find the answers and meaning to life. One son tries to find the answers and meaning of life through doing his own thing. And he goes off and he does it. The other son tries to find the answers and meaning in life by doing all the right things. And both find total bankruptcy. Because you can be as lost, you can be as distant and as far from God when you're doing all the right stuff as you are when you're living in a in a in a pig pen somewhere far far away but there is a father that welcomes us with open arms there is a father that invites us to come to him invites us to that salvation the fact is we're all lost we're all far from god and we all have to come to Him. Now, many of us have. And many of us can tell the story and have told the story about what that's like. But what this passage illustrates is so much of, of who God is and what He does for us. That he invites us home. It's, it's really a remarkable story about what what it is to know God and the ways in which we try and make that happen. So we can identify with just about all the characters in this. There are people here who, like the father, have children that have gone astray. And the relationship is fractured. Uh, you maybe you haven't heard from them for, for a while. Or... Um, however that fracture happens. And you can identify with that father because the father had to live for years knowing that his son was who knows where. With another son that was next to him but was so far away that he just didn't ever get it. You can identify... I think all of us can identify with this son that goes off and tries to live on their own. It, it, we all do that on some level, especially in America, where your self and you know ambition and, and making your own way is such a high value. And many of us have seen the bankruptcy of that. Uh, and 
I would like to think that many of us can also identify with this other son that stayed, that did the right thing, but somehow found themselves lost in their own self-righteousness. That's the one that scares me the most. Because I think that's the one that's easiest to slip into because you don't really notice. At the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, we get a picture of salvation. Another picture of salvation. Don't turn there, just listen. And don't get distracted. I'm going to read about elders and bowls and lamps and stuff. Don't get distracted by those things. It's not what this passage is about. Now, when he had taken the scroll and the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So don't ask me, well, how big do you think the harp was? <laughs> it misses the point. And they sang a new song, the song of salvation. You are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals, for you were slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. The story of salvation is the story that God himself redeemed us, brought us back from being lost. We were lost in whatever way you want to describe it. Like the coin, like the sheep, like the older son, like the younger son, and God himself brought us back. That's what salvation is. It goes beyond something that we are able to do, but it goes to something, it speaks to something that God himself is able to do, is to bring us back. So when we think about these times of years and holidays, we can pray for those that are still not back. We all have family members. Um, most of us, that is almost in our entire family. Uh, we have family members. We have relatives. We can pray that God would draw many back. But we can also rejoice and remember that God himself is the one that met us with open arms. That he has put his garments on us. We wear his ring. We wear his sandals. We eat at his table. He gives us the best and everything of what he has to offer. And there is great joy in that. There is great joy. When we think about things that are lost and then found, it's easy for some to only see what's lost, but forget about what is actually found. And that's us, strangely enough. <laughs> right? What does God call his people? A peculiar people. It makes sense. <laughs> but God himself loves us. And that's what salvation is about. So my friend, when he explained this to me, what salvation uh, are you saved way back when? And I said, saved from what? And he started explaining. Eventually, that's kind of what I understood. Eventually, I got it. 
that there is a God who desires to know you and a God that desires to know me. And even in the midst of our own rebellion, our own disinterest, our own wandering, God still says, I still want you back. Will you come? That's the question that all of us can ask. And if you're here and you don't, you haven't really settled that issue of who Jesus is. It's still kind of out there for you. I understand. I was there for a while myself. But you have the opportunity to answer that. And you can. Because there's a God that desires for you to come back and has created every way for that to happen. Maybe this year, during these holidays, that'll be your story. Is your story will be the story of salvation. I sure hope so. Father, thank you for your word and all that you give us. I thank you that you tell us stories that allow us to understand who you are and what you've done, and even us to understand who we are. I pray, God, that as we go through these weeks, that we would be brought again to that table of celebration, that place of joy, remembering all that you've done for us. In your name I pray. Amen.